Screen Talk, IndieWire's weekly movie podcast. I'm Eric Cohn, the executive editor and chief critic, joined as always by Ann Thompson, our editor at large. And we have so much to discuss today. We keep thinking we're outside of award season, then some awards news comes along. We've got Can around the corner. We've got billions of dollars being spent on a film library and even a new movie coming to Disney+. Plus. So there's no shortage of, of starting points, but why don't we start with the thing that we always think we're done talking about and then it comes back to haunt us, Oscar season. Because the Academy has said that they're gonna shorten the number of, or, or, or lessen the number of people they're letting in, which is something you wrote about this week. And I think it's, it's, it's notable to look at it now because of all the conversations about the diversification of the Academy. And the question being, does cutting your new membership in half lessen the potential to keep those diversity efforts going or have they just figured out their groove here and that's not something we should be concerned about well they met their diversity goals on some level for 2020 and they've gone all the way up to like 9300 uh voters you know and uh, since 2005 when when they launched the diversity initiative and and drastically increased the number of people they were inviting like last year they invited like 819 people in june so they they can't keep growing at that rate and service their members so they're having it again which is still more than it used to be i mean it's it's not um it's not uh, insignificant, but it's not, <clears throat> they don't have to move the, the needle as far as fast as they once did, and, and they're gonna slow it, slow it down. But the other big news this week, A, you moved. Where's the flamingo? <laughs> yes, <it's, laughs> didn't mean to disorient people who are watching the, the video version of all of this, but yeah, I just moved across the street. I'll find some new, some new background. You've got more privacy. You don't yeah. have to worry if about I the sound a little lady echoey, all the time. Yeah. <laughs> the echo is because I haven't filled in the white void yet. We've always been thing. orchestrating and scheduling our, our uh, podcasts around Eric's cleaning lady. This is true. Yes, true. Uh, and then, and then the, uh, the second, all right. So the other important thing that happened was that they've picked an Oscar date. It's March 27th, which is a lot earlier than this year, but later than it usually is. And this is one of those years when they're dealing with the Super Bowl, the Olympics. And they also made the decision to uh, announce the nominations on February 8th. And if you, the, they've pushed it back from what the uh, late February date was going to be because they want to give it more room. Uh, clearly, they are not taking any chances this year. After the controversial Steven Soderbergh Oscars, they are going to give whoever is in charge of the Oscars next year plenty of time to orchestrate a fabulous show. And, and it's back at the Dolby. And it's back the way we, and I, as I've said before, the pendulum swing, I think, will go in the direction of a very uh, uh, sizzling and entertaining show. Dense with people. I mean, we talked about last week how crazy it was to hear that closing night at Tribeca Film Festival would be 6,000 people maskless in Radio City Music Hall, right? Which is now, it turns out, a documentary. They're going to screen a documentary Dave Chappelle produced about some comedy stuff he did in, in Ohio. But uh, if that's happening in just a couple of weeks, think about the world that we're going to be in progressively over the next few months as Oscar season kicks off. 
and these in-person events maybe start to creep back into the picture. I mean, the, the, the awards consultants are hankering for the opportunity to go back to the old way of doing things. I'm sure that's true. We're, we're back. Uh, the, the, it's such a strange timeline. I mean, we talked about this last week. Tribeca starts June 9th with In the Heights, which is obviously going to be a big, hopefully a big hit at the, at the theaters when it opens at the end of June. And also, um, uh, a, a big, a big uh, Oscar contender. Uh, then, then we have Cannes in July, and we're a little worried about the the way that. Uh, th I mean, we're planning to go, but we're worried about the UK. Explain, uh, Eric. There's what a seven day quarantine for exactly. people from the UK going to France. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a. The, the slow progression towards realizing that the Cannes Film Festival seems to be happening continues to be a very complicated and unpredictable situation, right? Because a couple months ago, it was still not clear that France would be in even remotely close to a position to hold a, a major gathering in July. Now, the vaccination effort is, is picking up a bit and the, the country has reopened movie theaters, among other things. So France is ready to do that. The question has always been, what about other parts of the world? Well, in UK, the numbers are not uh, in a great situation. And so now we have the seven day quarantine uh, requirement. And generally speaking with Cannes, UK is one of the top uh, entities present at the festival, both in terms of uh, the market and the festival and, and uh, you know journalists and so forth. So if you have to quarantine for seven days, Presumably for some people, it's a disincentive. It's not as dramatic as it would be for Americans because it's a long way to go. Now in the UK, you could hop on a train, go to France for a week or whatever. It's, it's maybe less of a yeah, hassle. But we're, but... Thinking, we're thinking about, you know, the reality is that I know that many U U US outlets that would ordinarily send people, and this, this has been declining over time. Yeah, you know, there's can, nothing new. Can is a, can is, a huge deal for us at IndieWire, okay? This is our demo, this is what we live to, to, re to write uh, about. And the trades, it's very important for the trades, but regular newspapers around the country that are um, not only uh, financially uh, challenged and, yeah. and, and during the pandemic especially, uh, they're, they're, having, they're not gonna be able to send people and afford it and, and that, I could again, just see cutbacks. Yeah. That, that has been the tr truth for a very long time at a lot of festivals and, and you, you work around that with freelancers or by picking up news from other outlets. UK is, is more, still more of a newspaper culture and uh, I think they tend to send more journalists and there's also a lot of freelancers who are keen on going to environments like that so from a media standpoint it is still pretty significant and i was talking to some folks about it earlier today when that when that news came out we're recording on thursday and uh, they're, they're still figuring things out but are hoping to go one thing that we do know from can is that they've been gaming things out right they're less caught off guard this time around than they were last year and this seems to be something that they're sort of prepared for, that they're going to try at least when it comes to say if a British film is in the festival to get some special exception to work around quarantine rules with testing and so forth. So we'll see how that plays out. But it was inevitable we were going to get news like this. I wouldn't be surprised if we get more updates about various quarantine requirements as the government continues to sift through things. So we'll see. What's fascinating is that now we're a week out from actually getting a canned lineup. So the June next 3rd. time we record, yeah, next time, June 3rd is bright and early 
here in the States, we're going to get a can lineup. And that's when right and early means real. like 2 a.m. <laughs> For you, yeah. I can do it 5 a.m. You can stay up late. I can get up early, <laughs> meet each other in the middle. But it's going to happen. And, and once we have those movies and we have that lineup, things are going to accelerate. You're going to start hearing a lot about how people are planning to be there or not be there because we've been in this sort of holding pattern for so long. We do know some of the films that are going to be there that have been confirmed. French Dispatch, Chief Among Them, which has now been dated for the fall. That has gone back and no. forth and back and forth from <laughs> it's confirmed to now. not confirmed. But it's it is it is going. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm excited. And it, it'll be coming out after that. At, uh, Searchlight will we'll have. I, I can't wait to, to see that. Uh, today there was some news that the Verhoeven uh, sexy nun movie, uh, Benedetta, got picked up by IFC. And I thought that was interesting partly because I thought it might be a more commercial movie that could have been picked up by a bigger distributor. Uh, but one has to suspect that it's so um, taboo busting uh, that in at least in, a, in North America, most of the big distributors wouldn't want to touch it. Well, first of all, kudos to Ariana Baco, a friend of the site and someone we should definitely have on the podcast at some point. She was up to absolutely uh, president of IFC in the past year and has been there forever and seems to have a real savvy understanding of how to navigate a very complicated market for international films in the U.S. right now. They also have another film, which I, I would assume uh, is going to Cannes this year that, that IFC picked up earlier. Um, so the, the, there's a few different possibilities in terms of, of how things are going to play out with, with this company, but Benedetta apparently screened for U.S. buyers a couple of weeks ago, and I heard a lot of different reactions to it. Some people really loved it, and some people were kind of muted about it, so I think there's also a question with, with this movie is in a very unpredictable market, who's the best home for somebody who knows they can get eyeballs on this thing? And IFC knows how to do very carefully crafted theatricals while also really getting into the VOD space. That's a that's an important place to be right now, I would think, because they can adapt to things constantly changing. If they want to do a day and date for this movie, they can do it. Or if they want to do some sort of two week window, they can do that. So that may have been something that was attractive if, you know, the, the Benedetta producers were really hard lined about a certain kind of release or whatever. But I think that's cool. So, uh, so it's nice to know. It suggests, that, that though, that that's not the movie uh, that a studio subsidiary would be able to pick up. I like mean, a, a lesbian nun movie is, <laughs> or you know, something that's going to get religious groups fired yeah. up. I uh, mean, Verhoeven not, is not the smaller an easy the footprint, sell. the better. The better. Yeah. In no, this absolutely. Case. Verhoeven, in, in some ways, I mean, as he gets less as he becomes more he's old he's he's getting up there but also less and less seen as sort he of an american care. director yeah, he doesn't yeah i mean he makes and this movie will have a bigger release in other countries and have a life and so forth so there's also uh some documentaries that we expect to see there we've been talking earlier about in some of our prognostication stories about a couple of the ones that we thought we might see there's a rihanna doc that looks very interesting uh that peter berg's been working on but now we get this news about a documentary called Val, about Val right. Kilmer, and this crazy, I mean, not crazy, I don't want to, don't want to be crass, but this shocking physical transformation he's gone through as a result of his illness, um, which I can't wait to see. I've, I've talked to some people who said the, the footage in this thing is extraordinary, but this was an A24 project right. that we now know was sold probably for to a pretty Amazon. hefty price tag to Amazon. 
So Amazon, which also has the opening night film at Cannes, Annette, Annette seems to be ready to, to take on the quasette. I think that's so. That's the question is, I mean, they have had uh, A twenty four has had relationships with Apple. Uh, they they they've done you know hybrid distribution plans before. Um, yeah. The question with Amazon, we can move into this now. The Amazon MGM deal. The billions uh, of the, dollars the, spent the, on James billions Bond. Billions and billions of dollars. Uh, Eight point so something billion. Jeff Bezos still in charge for the moment, although he's going to be moving out of being in charge. People are speculating about whether they're going to have a real theatrical uh, footprint. Uh, now, the uh, movies that were already committed to theaters, like the James Bond movie, will certainly be coming out in theaters over the course of, of 2021. But later... And the other question is, uh, so they're going to be um, really pushing Amazon Prime. Um, you know, they're going to be pushing uh, more mainstream uh, projects, and they're going to have need to develop and produce movies that are spun off from all the IP that they're buying. That's what they're buying, the ability to make another RoboCop movie. Yay! Another right. Rocky movie? Really? Okay. So, so, uh, so the idea is that, and, and as far as Bond is concerned, Eon and ba Cubby Broccoli uh, children, um, Barbara Broccoli and uh, Michael Wilson, they are still in charge of Bond. They are still holding Always Bond been the case. close. Yeah. And they're not going to change their tune anytime soon and start spinning off television series and, 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 and that kind of thing. So, it's, so Michael DeLuca is the big question mark at MGM. He's, he's put together this extraordinary slate uh, of, of strong movies coming forward, like the Gucci movie from Ridley Scott. Um, yeah. And we want to see what he, was, what he would do with the opportunity to develop with all the money a, in the world, a lot of small, a, a lot of big movies, and he's smart. He's somebody, you know, money, Moneyball, or or uh, uh, the uh, Captain Phillips. See, he's the kind of guy that that puts the combo of quality and mainstream together, which is the great skill that so few people uh, really have. And I guess the other question on that front is just how much are they going to sort of double down on the IP opportunities here, right? Like when we saw that crazy Disney, I'm using the word crazy a lot today because it's just a crazy world we're living in in terms of how much is being produced and how many opportunities people are seeing to exploit existing properties in their library. That Disney presentation where you saw a gajillion Star Wars movies and Star Wars TV shows in the pipeline in particular was, was really eye-opening. Now you look at these properties that are in the MGM library and you're thinking, okay, like we were talking to one, one colleague we both know wrote us with like a whole laundry list of ideas. He was like, so great, great. Gary <laughs> Meyer, shout out to Gary Meyer. He had, but, they should hire him. I, I mean, the, my favorite of these was Kevin Hart as Inspector Clouseau because they have some <laughs> That's but, a great idea. Yeah, it's like once with a you, French I, accent. That would be I hilarious. have mixed feelings about these kinds of things and, and remakes and, and in general are, are annoy me, but the idea of using it as a template for some real creativity, I mean, the, it'll be fascinating to follow how that develops. Some of those properties at UA were picked up by, uh, they, they were independent pickups. I think the Mirish company has 
Pink Panther, if I'm not mistaken. But, yeah, it, uh, exactly. Know, it's, it's, sort of it's one of those things. That lots of different libraries to, yeah. And, uh, and just in case anyone didn't get clarification on this, the old MGM library was bought by Turner years ago, the classic library. So Gone with the Wind and, and those kinds of movies are all ensconced at HBO Max uh, at this stage of the game. Nobody's and that's the there. other big, the big company that, that you know, we're going to see what happens with HBO Max. Today's news was that Jason Kalar, the one who got into so much trouble for doing the day and date announcement without consulting anyone is going to stay on through 2022. So they're keeping, they, they've, they figure they might as well pay his salary right. for doing something than putting I mean, him to pasture. The, my read on this is that it's, it's not that big of a lift for the company to keep him around for that long and also to figure out what somebody like that is going to do under this new dynamic with a company that doesn't even have a name yet. I mean, maybe it is just called Warner Media, but the thing is like he inherited a slate of movies and tried to figure something out in the pandemic that was the best opportunity to basically his mandate was to pull in the the eyeballs to HBO Max, which is what the new mandate is everywhere. It was not the worst idea. It was it was perhaps uh, executed in a bum fisted way. Yeah, I mean, it burned a lot of ham fisted way. I think everything was fisted about it. I mean, it was just so naughty in terms of the way it played out. It was just sort of like a, it felt like it was sort of tossed out there in a very casual fashion. And, and there were so many questions and so many filmmakers. There was a lot of, of pushback, but, but so. we'll see, we'll see, we'll see what happens going forward there. Um, I'm, I'm, I, I'm fascinated by, by the, uh, well, look at the Jennifer Salky versus uh, Michael DeLuca of it all. I mean, she can keep MGM, as as a label and he can be in charge of developing those projects while she is still the uh, boss um, but we can also see what happens on the tv side when lord of the rings which costs something like 450 million dollars for the whole series when when that goes down in flames it has <laughs> does to be jennifer salky still have I mean, a job right you know? well i mean if, if it's if it's as good or better than Game of Thrones, just from a, a fan standpoint, then maybe it doesn't just spontaneously combust. Maybe we wait a little bit and see if people actually tune into this thing. But if it's just an atrocity, then yeah, that'll be a huge embarrassment. I just keep thinking, what a different world we're in from a decade ago when Amazon first, you know, Amazon Studios was like getting into the Oscar game, right? You can buy your way into the Oscar game when you have all the money in the world. That's very clear. The truth this is, is that acquisitions story. have always been their strength, not production on the film side. Um, right. And that's that's the truth of the matter. But, but, the, what, but the other thing that strikes me about all these moves that, that is, is you're right. Amazon and even Netflix at the beginning were way more art film oriented uh, than uh, mainstream uh uh, blockbuster kind of production and now that they're all competing for they the eyeballs that. they want that they're juicy all going mainstream they're all making hollywood studio movies now they and are studio that's companies really competing they are studios. hollywood studios i mean eventually yeah. we will stop calling them the streamers or something and they will just be because frankly Netflix they are there is a studio you know? And, and Amazon is, is and Amazon is getting thing. there too. Yeah, yep. but but it isn't notable, right? So it's like they they started with the the Oscar movies. It shows you that awards are, are you know they have their space. They're not necessarily out of that game entirely. It's just it's marginal. It's like a it's going to be some sort of subdivision, especially at a Netflix where you know they have the team and they're they're going to have the films, 
but you also have Army of the Dead now and, and the kind of IP possibilities with, with stuff like that or, you know, I don't know exactly what the situation is. Oh, I did see Spider-Man. Army of the Dead, by the but way. Yeah, so let's talk and about it. And I loved that it. Now. I Here actually it loved it. I thought it was Netflix really clever, really well done. And what I loved about it, too, was that um, Zack Snyder wasn't trying to, uh, you know, I don't know. It was unpretentious. Part of the reason why it was so good was that he had the freedom to be creative and and have fun with it. It felt like he had this big playpen full of tools and toys and gizmos and great actors, great casting, uh, a very global set of, of actors to play with, uh, attractive and funny and uh, idiosyncratic. I, I think some of these actors in Army of the Dead are, are going to be really uh, discoveries uh, well, going I- forward. You know, I've always had an issue with the word pretentious because to me it's like if you make something creative, you know, what that's I made a thing that's pretentious, but I actually think it's it's the opposite of what you're saying is that he's he was sort of given the freedom. He's a, he's a really fascinating filmmaker who makes a lot of silly movies sometimes because he's very style over substance to a large degree. That is true. He was allowed here to do something very clever with uh you know, his creative abilities like the the way in which this movie stuffs in another movie into its credit sequence, basically, before even like any dialogue is spoken, and then it, and then you basically have like a heist movie layered on top of this zombie. Now they're going to go back and do a prequel right. to set up the the prequel the 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 front piece that you're well, talking two. about. There's a yeah. there's an anime series and a, and a prequel about the uh, the German um, and the German guy is is yes. directing that. He directed I love it. it. And I wrote this thing last week. I don't want to spoil the ending, but there's a major cliffhanger that I think sets up an opportunity to completely change the perspective of this movie in a way that, similar to Bird Box, could could really lean into its global potential. And I, I just think that's fascinating because that's it's different the way that a Netflix blockbuster can have life in the world than uh, you know a studio movie like f9 or whatever you can be a little bit stranger a little this is very similar to f9 in the sense that the way that they cast it was to cover many 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 different demographics and and you know french german uh you know all different uh types of people in there and and it 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 was um cleverly cleverly constructed it has i i think it it takes a lot of dna from the james cameron of of the the kind of setting up the weapons and aliens kind of thing or or the writer james cameron who of course wrote rambo you know he knows it's about that group of people a set um goal and all the different weapons that each of them can wield what their assets are it's very cleverly done uh and not and and cameron is one but there's there's also uh the kind of balletic choreography in the action sequences that you would find in in john woo or or john uh, wick. But, oh you're gonna say john woo the filmmaker john woo, the filmmaker. but i was gonna say john wick john too. wick is the writer that guy no, is the writer he, yeah, he's because, a very clever writer no but john, i was thinking also about john Wick in terms of action choreography is really strong i mean snyder also shot he served as his own cinematographer yeah and he did you good. can tell there's a real consistency in terms of the aesthetic from you know the sort of ham-fisted writing to the the kind of over the top imagery but sometimes there's some really impressive more poetic visuals as well so it's a it's a fascinating movie i've talked to some and the women are actually, allowed to be strong yeah it's a, to a degree they could be stronger i suppose but they they, they get better towards the end i was going to say I, I think um 
you know, what's fascinating about this movie is, you know, we talked before about that Netflix really put it into theaters. I've talked to some people who went to see it in theaters and they had a great time. So it does work in that format and having, having it, having something that's a real summer movie that can cross platforms, it seems to be a very savvy strategy as well. Well, Netflix is open to whatever is going to make a movie uh, play better on the site. So if they can get some word of mouth going in theaters, that's to their advantage. And they've been doing that for a while. It's just that they never had such a wide release exclusively this way. And and it's a a movie that works. Where the the theater chains were cooperating. Well, they know because they know they could sell tickets to this thing. I mean, it's it's different than The Irishman, a movie that I adore, but it's just a harder sell to people. It's very long. It's a drama and so forth. Yeah, so. but the theaters were still fighting with Netflix back then. They've kind of given in now. Yeah. Not so all speaking, of them. Well, but so speaking of theaters and streaming movies in the summer season, Cruella is, is doing this thing with Disney Plus as well as a theatrical release. And I, I think I probably would have had a lot of fun with this movie in theaters. I didn't think it was... A masterpiece. I did have. I, I enjoyed the uh, sort of the, the ridiculous punk aesthetic of it, and mostly the music choices. But it was really over the top and, and pretty darn silly. So I don't know what. I was fascinated by this conversation on Twitter, which I think is gender based. It's basically the bros saying who is Corella made for, and fifty percent of the population is women. There should be movies made with women in mind. And Cruella is one of them. Yeah, I dig that. I'm, I'm supportive of I, that. I think it's going to have a wide audience. I think a lot of men will go see it. It's really entertaining. But the setting of the movie, uh, it, yes, it's 70s punk, but it's also fashion world. Yep, and, it's Devil Wears that, Prada. It is definitely Devil Wears Prada. And and, 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 and it's, it's Emma Thompson versus Emma Stone in a very satisfying, even battle. Uh, it's it's that, more that satisfying in the first half than the second half. I it kind of lost. It, it almost felt like it does wear itself movie, out a bit. But but it starts very strong. I mean, it's one of those things where if you force yourself into it because it doesn't sound like your kind of movie, you'll be surprised that you end up enjoying. More it's a, mu- it it's a much wittier, more British, yeah. more sophisticated, yes. more grown it's British up movie. British air quotes, British. I mean, it's it's, it's really British. No, come on. I mean, uh, I, Joel I mean, Emma Fry Stone is not British. Was really but... good, you know. Uh, I think, and uh, uh, so, so yeah, yeah. Emma Stone and and Paul Walter Hauser and is and is is also pretending to be British and and succeeding uh, masterfully. Uh, these these are great actors. They did a great job with this, and there's also a cast of a supporting cast of dogs which should get full credit for how well they do as it's, well yeah again i mean it it fizzles i think to a certain degree but i i was fascinated by the way it feels kind of edgy even though it's still very safe there was a piece in the wall street journal about this how pg-13 is sort of the new pg you know it's a movie that you can maybe watch with like some people can watch it with their kids but not like really little kids because it's it's scary. It's just not totally inappropriate. It's much I mean, more of a young adult movie, yeah. I would suggest. Yeah, than, but it, than, it, it scratches that yeah. itch. But then you also have people who are nostalgic for the uh, you know the Glenn Close movie, so you can play off of that that awareness to some degree. So it, it kind of there's a delicate. Well, balance yeah, people there, grew yeah. up with 101 Dalmatians, exactly. even in my generation uh, uh or the animated version exactly so so it's a there's a lot to there's a lot to i think it's going to do very well i this is a case where i wish that disney plus wasn't getting 
the day and date uh, streaming with it because it's really, uh, they should have given this a chance to do well in theaters exclusively and given that to the theaters. I, the, it's just there not is a priority a, for them. A tug it's not of a business war. I know. I know. It's a tug of war going on now where the studios are favoring uh, streaming over theatrical and that is uh, an unfortunate reality today and the theaters need their help. But I'll be curious to see what the actual box office numbers for Cruella are as opposed to Disney Plus numbers, which we may or may not know, you know, maybe on the next earnings They'll call They'll boast or if they want to. Yeah, yeah. exactly. It's a, it's a whole new world in that respect. So next and week... Well, let, let, let's, let's. Well, there was another. There was another big move where Big Boss Baby, which was a huge. Oh uh, yes, we should hit, note that. Yeah. Got pushed to uh, strictly Peacock, no theatrical. Uh, Suddenly, people are all. like, "Should I be paying attention to Peacock?" But then again. Who are these people who adore the Boss Baby movies and are suddenly paying oh, it, attention it's to getting the, it's that's a day that's a day and date that's a day and date one yeah in other words it's not getting the the agreed to window that Universal made with the theaters these but Boss Baby does well those movies have done well theatrically so it is sort of fascinating that it would I guess it's it's a throw a bone to the streaming entity. So it was a it was a subscription, excuse me, a a, a premium VOD deal with the theaters as P-Bod. opposed to a streaming deal. Yeah. And yeah. so streaming is they can do. They just can't do PVOD right. in, within the right. window. This is the kind of arcane thing that is going on right now. Yeah. And most people don't understand it. And it's hard to keep will, track of. But you will constantly feel the effects of it when you hear about a movie like Cruella or Boss Baby coming out and decide to watch it and realize, oh, this one's only in theaters? Or, oh, this one I have to pay $20 on even though I already get this service? So you're going to start to feel these options changing in a way that's just going to complicate and confuse people for a while as the new paradigm shifts kind of take but shape. I never got to the theater to see The Dry, which is this Australian hit movie with Eric Bana that did really well last weekend and it's opening weekend. And I'm willing to pay uh, a low uh, uh, cash buy, you know, five ninety nine or whatever to see that at home. I'm going to do that. I want to see yeah, that movie. That's how Even much Eric Bana is worth to you. Seven dollars in your it. living room is is Eric Bana's price tag now. Got it. Well, I'm curious about it. If if it's good enough, then uh, I'll make time for it as well. But next week, and Riders of Justice did well too. The, yeah, uh, the yeah. Riders of Justice did well, which I recommend. Yeah, no, but, I mean, look, there's there's plenty of stuff that that is is having a life now. There's no question about that. Next week, can that should be fun. Because as much as we think we know what to expect, we don't we really don't. know. So it's going to reveal we'll a great a deal. Whole lot list of movies to look at, a whole bunch of questions about who's there, who's not there, and how to anticipate all that. So Anna, a lot look of, forward to it. We'll a lot of people are going to be making their choice about whether they're going to go or not based yeah, on of that, that lineup. Exactly. Yeah. So fingers okay. crossed for a strong can lineup, but one way or another, it's always fun to track this stuff for you. And I hope you have a good weekend watching that Australia.